ready? Born ready. been this long since i pod that i don't even know if my mic is on it's terrible we are back y'all i apologize it's been a little hectic you know when you're running a nonprofit, and you're just trying to live life family stuff it's just been a lot going on but that doesn't mean i haven't been paying attention to what is happening in atlanta in georgia and across the country so i'm going to bring it right to you You'll notice that this pod did not come out on Tuesday, which is usually when it comes out. And we intentionally held this week because of the cop city vote. The Atlanta Public Safety Training Center vote officially took place this week. I'm just going to give you a rundown of what occurred. So I believe the last time the last time we did an episode That was the meeting where the legislation was introduced to the city council. The legislative process means that once the legislation is introduced, it then goes to a committee for a committee hearing, and then it is referred back to the full council for a full vote once it makes it past the committee vote. That occurred, and that full council vote took place on Monday. Here's what's really fascinating. That day, Monday, I actually went to City Hall because we had an intern actually starting that day, our intern for the nonprofit I run, and she's a photography intern, and I said to her, I think you're going to want to be at City Hall because this is one of the most consequential votes that's going to happen in the city, you know, in the in the next however many years. Um, and because the last council meeting, there was this record turnout of public comment. So I went down to City Hall and met her. I want to say I got there around 1230. The council meeting started at one o'clock. When I got to City Hall, there was a line outside the door of people waiting to enter City Hall, not the council chambers, but waiting to actually enter City Hall. And that's, so they had to go through security. Um, And they made an announcement at that point that City Hall was full, according to fire code, and that you had to have one person in and one person out, right? So the only way someone could come in is if someone else came out. Um, So I was able to get her in because she was media, but it was just fascinating to watch the line of people Um, There were a number of people who I was like kind of overhearing their conversations and it was their first time coming to City Hall. It was their first time deciding to speak at a city council meeting. And I think there's something really good about that, regardless of where you stand on this vote. So what happened, there were 15 hours of public comment. The vote did not occur until 5.28 a.m. Tuesday morning. Now, again, I said the council meeting started at 1 p.m. on Monday, but the actual vote 
did not occur until 5.28 a.m. Really remarkable. So 15 hours of public comment and the legislation passed 11 to 4, which is what generally we anticipated was going to happen. The four individuals who voted no, Jason Dozier, Liliana Bakhtiari, Antonio Lewis, and Keisha Waits. Two of those individuals have been on the pod, so we'll have to find a a way to bring in Antonio and Keisha Waits, either on this or some other issue. Um, I want to have us listen to a couple of the comments. Uh, Let's first start with an individual representing the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Take a listen to what he had to say. LDF urges the council to vote no on funding this militarized police training facility and instead make investments that are necessary to create true public safety. Invest in affordable housing. Invest in affordable health care, including mental health care. Invest in economic security and healthy environments and the quality of education for the children who live here. Invest in these services and in a solution that will make Atlanta safe for everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Lewis. So what this individual says, and this comment is about an hour into the public comment portion. He says something that you will hear throughout the 15 hours of public comment. So folks saying, why are we investing the amount of money into a public safety training center and we should instead use that money to invest in the broader public safety, whether that's housing, whether that's health care, whether it's something else. Another thing I want to mention and why there were so many people watching, both watching the council meeting, there were a record number of people who tuned in uh, to watch it on YouTube and, and other uh, outlets um, is because just days before the vote, originally, and we talked about this, the legislation was for up to, I believe, $33 million of the city money to fund the public safety training center. When this was originally brought to the public under Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms administration, this was supposed to be a third, a third, a third. A third of the money was supposed to come from the city of Atlanta. A third of the money was supposed to come from the Atlanta Police Foundation. And another third was supposed to come from from philanthropy and other donors. What happened last week is news broke that instead of a third, so instead of $33 million or so, the city was actually going to be on the hook for that plus $1.2 million per year in what's called a leaseback agreement where the city's paying the Atlanta Police Foundation to lease back the facility. So that brought the amount of public spending on this project to $67 million, more than double what we were, we the public were originally told. <laughs> and there hasn't still to this day been any real explanation of why there was such a disconnect between 
what we were originally told under one administration and what happened last week. So, so the increase doesn't make them even want to pause on the vote at all because it no. really it doubled, right? So the from my understanding, the administration is saying, yes, it's an increase, but it's revenue neutral. And that means it's not an additional cost to the taxpayer because we're already paying and budgeting for this. So the city says that today they are spending about $1.2 million on a tra- on training facilities, like on renting training facilities for police and fire. So it's revenue neutral because they're already spending the money. And then after 30 years of spending $1.2 million, those costs will cease. And so then the training center would become an asset, right? It would then, you would then no longer be paying that mortgage, so to speak, on the facility. But again, it's still not clear of why was there this disconnect. And I think the other point of frustration is that city individuals, key city leaders knew that this was the case very early on, but never said anything about it. And they continued to use the, this is only going to cost $30 million or so, dollars, not this is going to cost up to $67 million. And so I think some folks feel hoodwinked by it. Um, and maybe it was, you know, it is what it is in a sense. Um, but could the city have done a better job on communicating what was really going on? And that's part, again, of why there were so many people who came out to speak. The next person you're going to hear from is Tim Franzen. If you follow at all kind of activist politics in Atlanta, you certainly know this name. He's with the American Friends Services Committee. And he talks about how City Hall did not seem prepared for the amount of people in the moment that that council meeting was going to be. Take a listen to Tim. And that is optimism if I've ever seen it, to be taking all this stuff and then to find something to smile about. Uh, I came in with that kind of optimism. That, I thought of you when I came in today. I want that kind of optimism, when I, that it's possible. Uh, and I really want to thank uh, council people Bond, Boone, and Bakhtiari. Y'all might have stopped a riot. You know, you guys are human beings. I hope everybody knows that y'all are human beings. But everybody out there is human beings too. And they showed up as early as 8, 9, 10 o'clock to get in line to speak to an office, to a city hall that was locked to them. The door was the one supposed to be, no announcement. And then we were told we couldn't have food and water. We had to fight for hours for food and water. And it wasn't until council members came down and forced food and water in. Uh, it, it almost like you want something crazy to happen, right? I mean, Mary, we want to make sure people are fed, right? We don't want to have a riot. You know, we, we've been really working hard to get folks committed to a political solution, uh, a nonviolent solution. And I'm amazed that all these young folks that have grown up with climate change anxiety have been down to take this discipline direction. 
Let us have a shot at it. Today, I'm asking you guys to send it back to committee. I know that this is a way out for you guys that feel forced to vote yes. Give us some time. Give us some grace. Give us some time to create and imagine new solutions. Vote no. So what was really interesting about this meeting, the city council meeting, is you changed some rules. Um, one was that you were not, there was, it was not, clear about this they were saying it was almost like being in a tsa line where they were saying you couldn't bring in liquids but city hall did would provide free water um allegedly they were saying folks couldn't have food but i i know that that got fixed uh but it was one of those things where i'm sure it was unintentional but it reminded people of how republicans came out against uh, providing food and drinks while you're voting. And I, again, if they indeed were not originally allowed to have food and water, I, I hope that it was really unintentional, but they may not have seen the parallels between those two. So that was at about the four hour minute mark, just to give you a sense of how long this is. Um, next, you're going to hear council member Michael Bond and you'll hear the tension between the city council and the public. Like the last um, meeting, there were lots of shouting, um, well, some curse words <laughs> used, lots of curse words, I should say, used. Um, some real serious points of tension. There were tears shed. Um, it was really fascinating. And Michael Bond had a lot of back and forth uh, between the public throughout the entire process. At one point, and I don't know exactly what hour this started, when he would speak, they would turn their backs to him because it got just to this incredibly contentious point. So just take a listen to some of it. Many of the things that people believe that the city can do Legally, we're, we're, we cannot do it because of our charter. And, and secondly, secondly, just let him finish his statement, please. Councilor yeah. Bond. And just Finally, to close, it is our responsibility that all of our departments, that at some point, that we have to build facilities, that we have to supply. Well, I can sit here all night, too. I'm very comfortable sitting here all night. As a matter of fact, as, as a matter of fact, for those of you all who weren't, who may not have been here, it, it was the parliamentary action that we took so that everyone can have their voice to speak. I'm simply trying to respond to the gentleman who, who called my name, which under our rules, I'm allowed to respond. To give him an adequate response. So what Bond was mentioning there is early on, 
There were about 350 something people who signed up to speak, but there were many more who wanted to speak but weren't given an opportunity to sign up. And so Councilmember Bond uh, explored the parliamentary procedures that would allow them to continue the meeting until every individual who signed up to speak was given the opportunity to speak. And so they extended the sign-up period. Um, from the start, Councilmember Bond has been in support of the training center. He's been very transparent about that. And he's also been vocal about it. Um, and so I personally give him some cred for that, that he didn't shy away from his vote. He was very clear from the get-go on where he was on this issue. And he was committed to making sure that the public had an opportunity to be heard. Not that they were going to sway his vote, but at least they were able to air their grievances. Um, by the way, he says, I can stay here all night, and I bet he didn't anticipate just how long that was going to be. That clip you heard was around the seven-hour mark, which meant that they were only halfway through that night. Just incredible. Uh, the the last clip you'll hear is what I, you know, if you've never watched a council meeting, I really encourage you to. Um, there was an incredible amount of creativity, shall we say, in the public comment process, including a number of poems and songs. So to save your ears, we'll only listen to a, a small, tiny amount of this, but just take a listen to the creativity here. Living, but the forest has always been growing back. The lungs of this revolving city. The trees heard Muscogee voices again in the first of many migrations. But our friends are living with the forest. We are taking care of each other. We are fighting for clean water and land and housing and food and education and jobs and health care and joy and love and community and joy. And we're dreaming of a world. Okay, where okay, we okay. You can free. You can't pull it. So not one more tree. Oh man, I appreciate the creativity. Um, <laughs> you remember that clip of I don't I think it was like some religious event and the the one margarita. Did you remember this? Yes, the one margarita lady. <laughs> the one margarita lady. Uh, like I need someone to turn some of these songs from the public comment into a bop, like a legit bop. We'll see what happens there. Um, that was around the eight hour minute mark. Um, but like I said, there were a number of other ones. So let's fast forward to the moment the legislation was voted on. Um, I want to talk about some interesting parliamentary procedures that took place just to explain it for folks who might have gone in and out of watching it. Um, one was that they moved voting on the legislation for the training center to the very end of the meeting. And the reason why they did that 
is because there was concern that if they did it earlier in the meeting of the actual voting on legislation, there were other pieces of legislation being voted on that day. They didn't want a, a public reaction to halt the business of the council. So had they voted on the legislation, they felt earlier in the actual meeting portion they were concerned that they would never be able to get back to other legislation. So it was pulled uh, and voted on at the very end. So I want you to take a moment now and listen to the mood in the room as the city council is voting on that legislation. Take a listen. Is there additional discussion on the motion to adopt as amended? Here, hearing none, we'll move to a vote. Madam Clerk, please open the vote on the motion to adopt 23-0-1257 as amended. chanting in the beginning they're chanting as the vote is about to take place the whole world is watching and then after the vote takes place they they chant cop city will never be built so that is an overview of the you know sort of play by play of the the actual vote itself now let's turn and talk about what happens next? A couple of interesting things have occurred. Um, one happened before the vote, a couple days, I think a, a day or two before the vote. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to talk about what happened immediately after. The vote took place in the early hours of Tuesday morning. On Wednesday, the I, what I call the opposition, the folks opposed to the training center, held a press conference, and they said, here's our next course of action now that this legislation has passed. And I think this is something that folks did not anticipate. They said, we will call a referendum and actually put it to the voters of the city of Atlanta. So what does that mean? What will happen? What they are using as the case study for this is Camden County, which is kind of south, I think just past Savannah. In Camden County, there was a, um, a, a spaceport that local legislators wanted built. The community was opposed to it, very much like you hear some of these folks here. There was a group of people very vocally in opposition to it, and they successfully stopped the project. And what they are hoping to do is replicate that success here with 
calling a referendum. So what does it mean to call a referendum? One, they have got to get a judge to sign on essentially to, to make the, to, to say that there is a legal framework for a referendum to be put on the ballot. All of this is going to happen very fast because that referendum would be put on the November 2023 ballot. But once the judge says yes and the city clerk says yes, they filed the petition. They, they filed the intent already. They did that on Wednesday. They have 60 days from go. They have 60 days from the time the judge says, yes, you can proceed with this. They have 60 days to get, I, I can't recall the number, 70,000 or 75,000 registered voters in Atlanta to sign a petition that say, yes, we want a referendum. What's interesting about that is that is about the number of people who voted in the 2021 election. <laughs> now, the city of Atlanta has, uh, gosh, I have to go back and look at the numbers, but I want to say around 200 and something thousand registered voters. Don't, I have to, I should have looked this up before. Um, if I'm not correct, I'll, I'll correct it on the next go round. Um, but this would be an extraordinary move. If this occurs, and this would mean that if this goes before a vote, then the question becomes, if a, if a referendum is put on the ballot and it passes, does it stop the building of the public safety training center? Now, I imagine what they will do is, is call for an injunction to pause construction until a referendum vote takes place. So that would mean if all the stars align, the judge says, yes, you can put this up to a vote. They would say, well, while this is up for a vote, construction should not be allowed until after the people have spoken, right? So that would delay this project by months, right? So we're in June so imagine June, July, August, September, October, the referendum vote happens in November. So that's the entire summer and early fall that this would happen. It's to be determined if this will indeed go down the way I just called it. Uh, but again, this is a really fascinating moment. And I think the question for a lot of people is how does the mayor's office counter this? Right, so just thinking about all of this politically. One thing, I, if I recall, I mentioned on the last episode is, does all this energy really matter in 2025 when people are up for re-election? Right? You're hot mad today, but two years from now, are you really thinking about this to be determined? It seems like folks are determined to make sure that this issue stays at the forefront and folks don't forget. So that brings me to another point before I get to one more thing about this. I mean, this entire, this is one of the most remarkable things I've witnessed from like a, through a purely a political and democracy engagement lens. This is all really remarkable. And so speaking of the DNC convention, my guess 
is that of the folks who spoke, of the hundreds of people who spoke, of the more than 1,000 people who showed up at City Hall, those are Democrats, right? There might be some libertarians or some independents, but I'd say overwhelmingly those are people who vote Democrat. And there becomes a question of, do these folks engage not only in 2023 elections, like local elections, but do they engage in 2024? Do they engage in 2025? So one person in particular spoke that I thought was interesting, not necessarily because because of what he said, but because of who it was. And that was Chase Oliver, who was a libertarian who ran in the Warnock-Walker election. So he ran for Senate. Another individual in the Georgia Libertarian Party, I don't think he was actually there, but he has spoken on social media in opposition to the training center. So the Georgia Libertarian Party is paying attention to this issue. Now, is this something that they truly believe shouldn't be built, or are they using this as a political wedge between Democrats, between progressive Democrats and others who... I'm not going to say they're not progressive, but they just have a different point of view on the training center. So what does that mean in 2024 when you have some of these same folks who say, I'm upset at Democrats, even though I'm a Democrat, so I'm going to vote in protest. I'm going to vote for a third party candidate. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what party would speak to everybody who was in that room because like it was mixed it's like a lot of races ages there were you know what party because like you said it, it seems like it would be democrats but where would they go if the democrats don't listen because like most of the city council right now is democrats right? yes so, with the exception of two people yeah so like where would they go like maybe would, three would that be a third party vote or just non-engaged voters right. they will engage as you can see right so how do you get them engaged to exactly i think that is a big question i think that's something to be determined the democratic party of georgia has not said anything at least that i have seen in relation to the training center i mentioned this towards the top of the show something happened that kind of shook folks, including people who voted in support of the training center. And that is that three individuals were arrested last week on charges of um, fraud. Uh, and there was something else. And this was an investigation by the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. So these three individuals were part of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, which raised the bail money for individuals who were arrested throughout the protests. So think back to December to present day. And as part of this, when they were arrested, I think in part what alarmed people is that it was a a number of cops who showed up. There was a SWAT truck there and there was no, it was a very quiet, peaceful arrest. But I think people were shook by the show of force when those individuals were arrested um, and the charges themselves. And so 
according to, I believe this was the GBI, they called these individuals, they have charged these individuals as domestic terrorists, right? And that has been a whole thing uh, between the Attorney General, Chris Carr, Chris Carr, the Re Republican Governor, Brian Kemp, and then the, the city. My understanding is the city was not aware of these arrests ahead of time. So it was not some coordinated effort. At least that's what I have heard or have been told. There was a lot of consternation after this happened in particular that Georgia's two Democratic senators were quiet. They hadn't said anything. And so Raphael Warnock, Senator Raphael Warnock, was the first, I believe, to post on social media. I believe this happened over the weekend saying that this was problematic and that he was going to look in it, look into it. And uh, Senator John Ossoff did the same. I imagine there was a coordinated response between the two of them on who's going to say what because they wanted to be in lockstep on this. So today, I believe, at least it was published, or Wednesday, I should say, was published a letter that Senator Warnock sent to the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. I'm going to read a portion of this letter. He says, and I quote, Peaceful protest is a quintessentially American activity and a fundamental constitutional right. As someone who was long engaged in justice work, I am personally aware of the importance of nonviolent protest movements through American history and their role in driving our country forward to a more perfect and more just union. To protect these rights going forward and to clarify any potential confusion regarding DHS, that's Department of Homeland Security, policy, I respectfully request, number one, DHS publicly clarifies whether it has designated any groups in Georgia as a DVE, that means domestic violent, violent extremist, and if not, to share this policy clarification with relevant state and local law enforcement partners. And again, just a quick aside here, I mentioned this because the state said that these individuals were tagged by the, by the feds as domestic violent extremists. His second point, and again, I quote, DHS publicly shares with state and local law enforcement partners any existing, guide, existing guidance on how to interpret a DVE designation in a manner consistent with peaceful First Amendment protected activity, including what types of inferences may violate such rights. If such guidance does not currently exist, I request that DHS develop and share such guidance as soon as practical. So that is an interesting wrinkle to this because the narrative had been that from the state is that these were domestic violent extremists, but the Department of Homeland Security said in response to the senator's letter that they have not deemed this organization as domestic violent extremists. And part of what the state investigation was that they wanted to go after people who donated to a solidarity fund. And so this becomes a First Amendment issue and a First Amendment conversation. The Georgia Bureau of Investigations has said it stands by the justifications of, of calling these individuals domestic violent extremists. 
I think there's a lot that we just still don't know yet. Um, part of the reason why I believe they did this, uh, Governor Kemp certainly talked about this, is that members um, of this group or people affiliated with the anti-public safety training center sentiment damaged public property, uh, damaged uh, construction equipment, things of that sort, uh, injured or nearly injured law enforcement. And so we will see what happens with this. It's an incredibly nuanced issue. Um, and it's an issue that if I think Democrats are not careful, could hurt them in a number of different ways. And it's not just about what's happening here in Atlanta, but what are the political ramifications of this beyond today? And that includes to what extent does this matter in 2024? To what extent does this matter in 2025? So that's the gist of what has occurred over the past couple of weeks uh, with the Public Safety Training Center. There's going to be a lot more on this, again, particularly if they are able to get a referendum on the books. It's incredibly hard to get 75,000 signatures. Do you, do you think it'll get violent? Like, because I also saw that they did that. They posted the addresses. I saw of, that. Like, the city council. And it was like, that was a, make them tremble. So that was some, a uh, national group that did that. That yeah. was not Atlanta people. Um, I, I don't know to what extent there is coordination between the people who were pushing to stop the training center from being built. Um, you know, I was, I, I recall reading about in the civil rights movement, how tactical they were. Right. So you might've had one arm of the opposition that takes one approach and another arm of the opposition that takes a different approach. Uh, one thing I have noticed is that there seems to be incredible solidarity no matter what. So even when things have gone violent, there has not been a repudiation of that violence. And I think this is really challenging people. Yeah, it is. I see it. It's, my goodness, it's certainly fascinating to watch. Okay, so that was that. <laughs> um, let's just, I'm going to briefly mention this because the elections are in, this fall in 2023, a number of Atlanta school uh, board seats are going to be up. The Atlanta School Board voted to not renew the contract for the superintendent um, to be determined what the implications of that will be. But I just want to highlight it because as we get ready to talk about the school board elections, I just want you all to know that this is one of the things that you should be paying attention to because the school board hires and fires the superintendent. I think another thing of note about this is perhaps for the first time in a while, there seemed to have been some real coordination and a good relationship between the mayor's office and the Atlanta Public Schools office, particularly the superintendent's office. And then now, you know, by the summer of next year, we'll have a new superintendent and the mayor's office will lose, we'll have to start from scratch again uh, when a new superintendent is selected. And that kind of goodwill, um, to some extent, will be lost. So just an interesting thing that occurred, um, again, to be determined on what's going to happen next. 
And then the last thing I want to briefly mention is that in Fulton County, uh, this just occurred, the Fulton County uh, Republican Party put forth an uh, individual to be on the Fulton County Board of Elections. Uh, both the Democrats and the Republicans both put forth candidates, uh, equal number of candidates to represent their parties on the Board of Elections. One of the candidates the Fulton County Republican Party put, put forth was someone who has repeatedly challenged voter registrations of voters in Fulton County. Now, Fulton is the largest base of Democratic voters in the entire state of Georgia. Second would be DeKalb County, and I think third would be Clayton County. So the idea of someone being on the Fulton County Board of Elections who has challenged voters' registration status was unfathomable for folks. Uh, originally, we mentioned, I think the last time we talked about this, the Republican Party did put up someone who, for all intents and purposes, is seen as a rhino, but that person withdrew their name because of um, a lot of opposition. That person would have been the, the chair of the party, but uh, withdrew, withdrew his name because he did not want it to be seen as partisan. So I uh, say all that to say the individual who uh, the Republicans have put forth, that person was voted down. Um, and so they were not uh, allowed to join uh, the party or to join the, the board. One of the commissioners, uh, Democrats said, this is not, and I quote, this is not a serious nomination in that there was a dangerous precedent being set. So just a, a bit of a save, I would say, uh, for Democrats in particular uh, and for people who are concerned about voter access and who's allowed on the voter rolls and are the right people, are, are voters indeed the ones who are on the voter rolls. So I'd say that's probably a wrap for what's happening in Georgia politics. I'll just briefly mention a couple of things at the national level. Um, this is something to pay attention to, not now, but certainly to pay attention to next year. Uh, and that is that YouTube announced that it's no longer going to remove videos with false claims of fraud of the 2020 presidential election. Now, when the whole 2020 thing went down, there were a number of videos that YouTube and other social media outlets pulled. They have announced that they're no longer going to pull those videos. So what does that mean as we get ready for 2024? What does that mean when you have uh, former President Trump running for election and others? Uh, I don't know, but it feels a bit problematic um, that those are not going to be checked. Now, maybe YouTube might throttle people's ability to find those videos or those videos to go viral. I don't know. That's a whole nother thing that I know a lot of Republicans in particular are upset about. Uh, but I just want to highlight it because it's something that's going to come up in the future. Uh, so you heard it here first. And the last thing uh, as we get ready to close out is I want to mention, and we'll spend the next episode kind of going a little bit deeper into this, but some new names joined the Republican side uh, for the 2024 presidential primary. Um, your hometown hero, Tim Scott, <laughs> Keith, uh, Senator Tim Scott joined. 
governor, former governor Chris Christie joined. I think, <clears throat> yeah, I think Chris Christie is not necessarily joining. You know, you run for office, you could either run to win, or you can run to have a particular agenda. And my guess is that Chris Christie's agenda is to make sure that Donald Trump is not the nominee. But how would Chris Christie stop that? Chris Christie will be the bully on the stage that is Can, the one to counter like Trump. Fight Trump. Right. Basically. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know. He, but didn't he, he lose he, the first fight with Trump? He did. <laughs> but he, I mean, Chris Christie's part of who basically killed Marco Rubio, right, when Marco mm. Rubio was running. And so I think he will play that, you know, attack dog role uh, against Trump. And that allows someone like the next person who announced they're joining, Mike Pence, to not have to play the attack role because Chris Christie will do that very well. Um, I forgot to mention this, but Tim Scott's not the only black man running for president on the Republican side. <laughs> Y'all, there are two black men running for president to get the Republican nomination. Larry Elder is the other. <laughs> Come on, Larry Elder. Yeah. Larry Elder. I'll uh, choose Tim. Uh, I yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, Larry Elder. If you don't know, um, he challenged uh the governor of California in that recall election, and obviously did not win. Um, and then on the Democratic side, um, Robert Kennedy, who I don't know if any of you all watching or listening to the show watch Succession. But sometimes I see Robert Kennedy in the news, and maybe this isn't fair because I haven't like actually heard like listened to him talk. But he gives me Connor Roy vibes, like he's the Connor Roy of the Democratic Party. I don't know. We'll see. And then back to the Republican side, one person who announced that he was not going to run is Governor Chris Sununu. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting uh, because he was seen as a more moderate Republican. And then there's a third black guy who is considering running, and I don't think he's going to do it. But if he does, then there'll be three black men running on the Republican side. Look at that. Don't say Republicans don't have black folks. <laughs> uh, but that person would be, uh, if he decides to run, would be Will Hurd, who is a former Texas congressman who's seen as a pretty sensible, reasonable guy. Uh, as a big like national security background I, I don't think he'll do it though uh the first presidential debate y'all is august 23rd that's like no that's in no time i can't wait to watch maybe we should do a debate watch party hmm. um that is today's show uh, i should do a quick party starter and a party pooper Ah, that's a tough one. I, you know, to I guess to go back to the entire training center conversation, regardless of whether you agree with the people, you agree with their approach, the fact that voters, individuals in the city of Atlanta, granted some of them were outside the city of Atlanta, but signed up to speak, set for hours, Right. So imagine you sign up to speak at 1230 and you don't actually speak until 1 a.m. Right. Uh, that That is an incredible that says something about democracy. I was talking to someone. Democracy is not necessarily always getting what you want. 
but it is making sure your voice is spoken and heard. Um, and I, I think there's something really powerful about that. The fact that there were 15 hours of public comment on an issue and the public made clear, uh, those who attended made clear where they stood on an issue. There's just something, again, just incredibly powerful. And we'll see, you know, if this is the start of, uh, was this a major crack in the wall of the Atlanta way? Uh, to what extent, you know, does this matter for civic engagement going forward? I don't know, but uh, I am generally heartened to see civic engagement on issues. And I hope that there's civic engagement beyond this issue and on other issues. Uh, for a party pooper, um, well, I we didn't talk about this, but I guess I would say the now former head of CNN, Chris Licht. Uh, he was the chairman and CEO of CNN until Wednesday when he got booted. Dang. CNN, CNN, like I think a lot of media outlets, is trying to figure out what their future is. And TV media in particular is trying to figure out what, what its future is. I know a lot of folks my age, and I'm certain of the generation behind me, Gen Z, are not watching TV news. Um, Sucks. Yeah, I used to kind of CNN used to be the source. Yeah, I don't I don't watch it. I don't every now and then I watch Fox News just to see what's being said. But yeah, there's there's no point. I'll I'll get my news on social media. I'll get it on Reddit. I'll get it on, you or, know, in other forms, podcasts. Yeah, a lot of it's podcasts, YouTube and social media for me. And I think there's a real challenge of like, what is the future of TV news, TV media, particularly when you've got a presidential election coming up, right? So if you think about Tucker Carlson, who's in a huge debate right now, a huge legal dispute with Fox News, Tucker Carlson posted something on Twitter, I guess his kind of like first show, and it had an insane amount of views, an insane amount of impressions. And so it just makes you think about you know, what is the future of TV consumption? And uh, I think CNN might be in trouble there. I'm going to go back and look at it. Episode one for Tucker Carlson had a impression on Twitter of 92.6 million people. Dang. Now, or views, not impressions. Excuse me. 92.6 million views. That's crazy. How how long was that? Was a whole like 30 it minutes? It was no, it was 10 minutes and 27 Shh. seconds. Tucker Carlson's show on Fox got, I think, on like a good day, uh, just under 3 million views. So this is if you're wondering why Elon Musk hired the chick from NBC, like this is part of the reason like how do you monetize that 92.6 million views utterly remarkable all right y'all that is the show i know there's going to be so much to talk about next week so we will be monitoring closely if you ever have a question feel free to send us a voice note if you have something you want us to discuss on the show hit us up and let us know as always, thank you so much for tuning in to Where the Party At. Take care. <laughs>